to the Starting With One podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Our goal is to provide our audience with interesting, relevant information on Canadian healthcare, financial and estate planning issues, and running a business. With each episode, Robin and Al will be exploring topics that matter to you. Starting With One is built off of our experience that we enhance the lives of many starting with one. Every great story that we get to share all started with one phone call, one conversation, or one meeting. These are the stories that make us very proud to do what we do, and it all starts with one. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. So today we're sitting down and talking about the value of advice. Thankfully, Al's going to be doing a lot of the talking today. Yeah, because this is certainly more on your side of the business. I think it applies to mine as well, but uh, certainly on the financial and estate planning. So we're sitting here, Al. Why are we doing a podcast on the value of advice? Well, you've probably seen, if you've watched uh, any TV lately, one or two commercials that go something like this. And one, it's a couple, and the other, it's a woman sitting presumably in the office of their financial advisor, and they announce that they are moving their investments. And the advisor says something to the effect of, uh, well, you know, may I ask why? And the client responds, it's because of the high fees. So... Without going through the whole ad, the conclusion and what they're trying to get at is if you can get rid of the fees, you'll retire with 30% more money in your portfolio. So it's really a, you know targeting the, the investment fees and is the advisor really earning those fees. So on the surface, uh, I, there's nothing wrong with the ad. I mean, it, it makes sense. Just do the math. If you don't pay fees and you can keep that money in your pocket, well, naturally, you're going to have more money at the end. It's, it's, it's pretty simple math. Sure. But what I want to talk about is probably you are missing something along the way. You know, if everything is equal, you're going to have more money in your portfolio and in your pocket if you don't pay the fees. But I'm going to argue that probably everything isn't equal. And the advice that someone is bringing to the table is worth a lot of value and it's worth that to pay an advisor to help you with your financial plan. Okay, I'm going to guess that there's probably some of our listeners who don't completely understand what those fees are that you're referring to. Can you maybe explain what they are and how they get paid? Yeah, so typically speaking, and we're really talking about mutual funds here, there are a lot of other newer and lower fee alternatives out there. That'll be another podcast we can talk about that. And this isn't to say that mutual funds are the best and the only or to disparage the other things. That's not what this is about. It's simply that mutual funds are still a very viable alternative. A lot of people use them. And there are fees that are connected with the use of mutual funds. So that's what I'm just going to talk about today. So when you purchase a mutual fund, one of the ongoing costs is what's called a management fee or an expense ratio. And depending how it's set up, and again, there's different ways that you can talk to your advisor about it, about how, you know, how those fees are taken out. But depending on how it's set up, the fee typically pays the cost of the company managing funds. So McKenzie, Dynamic, you, you know, you've right. a number of the big, the big mutual fund managers. So it pays their fees. It pays some compensation to the mutual fund dealer who places the trade. So in our case, that's a quadrus. So when you get your statement in the mail every quarter or every or semi-annually, someone had to produce that. Uh, someone has to make the trades. So that's the mutual fund dealer. And then some of the compensation comes back to the advisor. So 
me. And, you know, presumably that's to provide ongoing service and, and advice about fun. So let's just take our, a typical example. The management expense ratio might be 2%. Okay. So just to give you some numbers, if you came along and you started with $100,000 in the account, by the end of the year, $2,000, 2% is going to be essentially taken out of your money to go pay the mutual fund manager, pay the dealer, and pay the advisor, okay? Now, hopefully, the mutual fund still makes money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, that's what the, the management company is trying to do. So at the end of the year, you might look at your statement and your $100,000 has grown to $105,000, and you might say, oh, great, you know, I, I made $5,000, I made 5%. It did, in fact, earn more because the $2,000 did come out. So it had to make $107,000, real simple math, in order for you to end up with your $105,000 because somewhere along the line, $2,000 went towards expenses. So again, those are the fees that we are talking about. Obviously, going back to the ad, if you didn't have to pay those fees, you didn't lose $2,000, you didn't lose that 2%, you'd have $107,000 instead of $105,000. You'd keep more of your money. Okay, but... And I have the benefit of working with you quite often, so I already know this, but for our listeners, so why doesn't that work? I mean, I guess the question would be, why pay those fees? What's the investor getting for their money? So I'm going to shift over to a, another study or a study that was done on, and there's lots of them. And, and, you know, I do have an opinion about studies and numbers. You can use numbers to prove anything. Uh, you can go out and do a study to prove your point. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but... There have been a number of, because this has been a topic in the in the news and the media for a long time, and there's been a lot of uh, discussion about it, but one of the studies that uh, has come out, um, and it's from 2015, I believe, and it's called the Gamma Factor and the Value of Financial Advice, so big fancy name, but regardless, the question was, you know, do investors benefit from financial advice? And, and their findings were, you know, within four to six years, comparing a household who used an advisor and got advice versus a household that didn't. Within four to six years, the household that used advice had 1.7 times more wealth. They built more 1.7 times more wealth than a household that didn't. Interesting. Within seven to 14 years, that number had grown to 2.8. And then within over 15 years, the number was up to 3.9 times. So that's significant. That's not 30%. Uh, if we're talking over 15 years and you have 3.9 times the amount of wealth that a, a household that doesn't use an advisor, that's a significant that's a big, difference. That's a big difference. Right? Yeah. So again, I guess you can use studies, like I said, to, to prove anything you want, but this wasn't the only study. So I kind of think, going back to the ad, everything is not equal. Yeah, sure, you can, if, if you just do the simple math, you're going to have a little bit more money in your pocket, but that implies that you can manage the money and avoid all the pitfalls and not make the mistakes. Whereas with an advisor, I think you're probably going to avoid some of those mistakes. So you've worked with a lot of clients over a, a number of years now. I mean, you said you're in the business for you know almost 24 years. What are some of the things that people are doing wrong? Or, and maybe a better question is, what aren't they doing right? So yeah, good question. Again, going to refer back to another study that tried to quantify the added value of financial advice. So again, 
the numbers they came up with were between an, an additional 2.86 to 4.46% of added return to a portfolio on an annual basis. It was spread over five areas. And the biggest area that they found was simply investor behavior. That's where an advisor could make the biggest impact. So what does that mean? Way back in our first podcast, you asked me the question, what do you think the best thing that you can bring to a client is? And I said, well, probably to protect them from themselves. And that's what I really meant was when you're talking to clients and a lot of the things that seem intuitive, then the clients will even admit and talk about as to how to do it. When emotion comes into play, suddenly they're not following their own advice. So I'll I'll give you a perfect example. And that is, you know, if I were to ask you, what's the most basic thing that everyone says about investing, it's probably going to be something to the effect of, well, um, you know, buy low and sell high. Mm -hmm. That's what everyone says, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Buy when it's low. Sounds easy too. Yeah, and and it is. It's simple. It's simple, but it's not easy. Right. Because what people tend to do is that's their answer when emotion isn't involved. But when the stock market falls by 20%, if you followed your own advice, you would buy low. But that's not what people do. When the stock market falls by 20%, everyone says, oh my gosh, maybe I better get out of my investments. The stock market just fell. And if you look back in time and you looked at the times when the stock market has fallen, everyone would look at those times when the stock market fell and they would see that as an opportunity. They would they would say, ooh, we should have bought that. But when that opportunity presents them in the here and now, emotion gets in the way, the emotion of fear. Exactly. And now they, they are afraid to make that decision to buy because they just saw you know the market fall by 20%. So there's a study by, and again, this is, I think, done by Delbar. It was done in 2015. It showed that in the previous 20 years, the S&P 500 had returned an average of 9.85% per year. I don't think there's too many people out there that if they could return an average of 9.85% every year, that they would be disappointed. But the average investor only earned 5.19%. And is that because people were trying to time when to get out, when to get back in? Bingo. Uh, yeah. they, you know, they didn't stay invested. They saw the stock market, they sold at the wrong time, they were afraid to buy. One of the comparisons or one of the analogies I always use, imagine you're going out to look for a new washing machine and you see it on sale and it says 20% off. That would be the time that you would probably sure, it sounds buy good. your washing machine yeah. because you know you, you know you need a washing machine and it's 20% off. The stock market drops by 20%. People don't run out and go, oh, the stock market's on sale, I think I should buy it. What they tend to do is wait until the stock market goes up and then they say, oh, now I'm afraid that I'm going to miss the opportunity. I better I better get in now. Well, that's the same as if that same company said washing machines marked up 20%. Oh, <laughs> now I better, go out, I better go out and buy my washing machine. Yeah, no one would do exactly. that. But when it comes to investing, that tends to be what people do. So what's my job? Talk people off the ledge when the, when the market goes down by 20%, when they call up and say, oh, I didn't realize that this would be happening. Okay, well, be confident. You know, you don't need the money. You told me you didn't need the money for another 10 years. I'm pretty sure based on history that within the next 10 years, the market's going to recover. So why are you worried? Now, yeah. I know no one likes to open up their report and see their $100,000 is now worth 80000 But the only way that you actually hurt yourself is if you do sell. 
then you've actually locked in your losses. And realize those, those losses, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you just suck it up and, and wait it out, wait for the market to come back, it will, it does, it always has, and then you'll be back on track. Well, you've laid out some an area, and you, and you convince me every time we talk, because again, you are my financial and estate planning advisor. So what are some other areas where good advice can make a difference? So I, I'm not going to go through all of them because this would go on forever and it'd be really boring, but in the interest of keeping it short, there are a couple of other more obvious ones. Tax. No one likes to pay tax. Everyone, uh, is, if they can reduce the amount of tax they, they can pay, then everyone's going to do that. So implementing tax-efficient strategies. It's never about what you make, but I always tell people it's not about what you make, it's about what you keep. So again, simple math, if your investment return is 7%, but you pay half of that return to the CRA, well then you kept 3.5%, you earn 3.5%. But if you're in 5% and pay no tax, well, you were ahead, right? So you may look at it and say, well, I would rather have the 7% investment than the 5% investment. But it really doesn't matter what you make, it's what you keep. Mm -hmm. So there are ways still, believe it or not, um, as much as Revenue Canada has tried to clamp down and uh, make sure that people are paying what seems like more and more tax all the time, there are still ways to invest tax effectively, either by deferring things or, or choosing an investment that has a little bit more efficient tax treatment. So again, that's what I look at, that's what I can help manage the amount of income tax you pay. And obviously, again, the more you keep in your pocket, the more you're going to have down the road. Well, I think everyone would agree, keeping more of uh, more of the money in your pocket is, is always a good thing. So definitely a great place for advice, certainly. I wanted to also ask you a little bit more about investor behavior, because you touched on that. People timing the market, trying to get in, and, and by the time they see things going up, it's a little yeah. bit too late. How can you help with investor behavior? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Again, people, what they say and what they do are very different. One of the best strategies in many, many cases is simply to do nothing. Continue to just follow your, your plan and block out all the noise, all the noise that you're hearing in the media, all the noise that is going on from you know the water cooler conversations and just say, you know what? I've got a plan. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to continue to invest on a you know, monthly basis and I'm still going to put money away and really do nothing. So, you know, that is a decision, right? You decide to do nothing and just keep on track with what you're doing. That, that is a conscious decision that you've made. And unless you're going to come back and say, well, my financial goals have changed, uh, you know, instead of retiring 20 years from now, I'm going to retire in five years. Well, if that's not the case, like if, if you're still going to retire in 20 years, again, why, why suddenly, just because there's some noise out there about the market, why are you changing your investment decisions and, and, and everything that goes around it? So sometimes doing nothing is the right strategy. So I think there was a, a famed economist that once said, your, your, your money is like a bar of soap. The more you handle it, the less you have. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> interesting. So, and it's true. You know, you just... Sometimes you just need to be patient, you just need to believe, you just need to keep doing what you're doing. Well, you made a comment about following your plan. And when I'm in speaking with a business owner or an executive or, or whoever it happens to be, and I mention, hey, you've really got to meet Al because everyone I've ever introduced Al come out of that meeting and say, wow, that was worth it. No one has ever, and the 
years that we've been together, no one has ever said, well, that was a waste of time meeting that guy. <laughs> well, at least not to your face. Not to my face. Anyway. <laughs> Behind my back, maybe it happens all the time. But a lot of the time, the, the first kind of roadblock or objection I'll get is, well, I have a plan. I, I have an RSP. Right. And I know from years of experience, when someone says that to you, what's your typical answer? So you're right. A lot of people will respond with that. And, you know, the RSP in itself is not really a plan. It's uh, it's a vehicle for savings, but it's not really a plan on where you want to go or how you're going to get there. So again, what, what I'm going to come back and do with a, with someone like that is first probably ask them, that's great that you're saving, but do you know what it's going to get you? Do you know how much you're going to have down the road? Do you know how much you're going to need? Typical answer might be, you know, from someone, if I ask them, when do you think you're going to retire or how much do you think you're going to need that? They might say, well, you know, I want to retire as soon as I can with as much money as I can. Okay. That doesn't really answer. Kind of, kind of vague, right? Yeah, pretty yeah, vague, like, pretty nebulous because the answer then might be, well, why don't you just retire right now? That's, that's as soon as you can. And whatever you've got is the most sure, money you yeah, can have like, sure, right now. Yeah. So, and then everyone will respond, well, I can't, you're probably right, but what you really haven't done is you haven't really sat down and have someone figure out how much money do I need based on my lifestyle, when am I going to have that, how am I going to get there, what's the plan, what's the roadmap to get there. So again, that's what I'm going to do is, is be able to sit down with someone and help them figure all those answers out. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you've laid out very well the value of advice, the topic of uh, this podcast. So I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. If anyone has any questions, you can certainly direct them to me as always. And Al is three offices away from me, so I can walk down to his office and have a conversation and put you in touch. Or you can reach directly out to Al with a phone call or uh, book an appointment and certainly happy to have those conversations. We've got lots of future episodes coming, really interesting, both on the employee benefits side, the estate planning side, the financial planning side. We're going to be talking about, I know, participating life insurance and who that makes sense for. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into investor behavior. We touched on that today. We have Dr. Angus Franklin returning. I had a lot of requests for him to come back and certainly he's going to be on the new show talking about the uh, financial impact of flu season on a business. So that's going to be very interesting. We're going to be talking about group retirement plans that's coming to be top of mind as we, as we move toward the end of the year and into the new year with, with RSP season. So I hope you stay tuned. As always, please feel free to share, reach out, provide comments as it helps direct the direction of the show. And we'll see you next time. Take care. 